Well, as we made mention in one of our Facebook posts, snow came in. And it's, it's still coming. It came just as much as they said it was going to come. They, they got that one right. So we have a skeleton crew, I guess you would call it here. And everybody's doing something. <laughs> everybody's got on a couple of different hats back there. Mr. Keith is now on the, the Facebook camera and the soundboard and switched off from the other things that he was doing. We appreciate that. We appreciate the worship team coming out. It's good to have them. Mandy came back and took care of our front and all the stuff with the bulletins for the people who came. And even our snowplow people came on by. They saw me out there pushing some snow around and they said, uh, don't worry about that. Go inside where it's dry. We'll take care of this. <laughs> so they, they were out there and they're uh, plowing the place out for, uh, for the people that are, are here. But the snow is falling and we are glad to, that you all were able to make it. So what we did was we changed where we were going to go. We were going to take a look at the the uh, the other ministry gifts we hadn't looked at, mostly the, the evangelist and throw in the apostle and teacher, probably and take care of all of them in the in the one time. But since things kind of went to uh, went to pot for our normal plans, we we uh, we took one of our words. We have three words that we're looking at here today, and one of it's adaptability. And certainly our worship team did that because all those songs that they practice on Thursday, I guess we didn't do any of those, did we? Oh, we did one of them. All right, we did one of those songs. So uh, everything else was kind of put together, tried to get some simple songs since we weren't going to have the words up on the screen. But uh, adaptability is, is certainly something that we can go through. When we were going through and looking at the prophets, I think we spent five, six weeks on the, on the prophets. There was a number of different stories that I had written down for this, and uh, we didn't get to all of them. But one of the ones that we didn't get to is the one we're going to look at here. It's not a strange story. It's not an unknown story to us. We've covered it a number of different times here in our time. It seems like uh, last time was about a year and a half ago. So it's pro- pro- probably still be on your your memory of things. But we're going to take a look at solving problems here t- today. How can we solve a problem with the same level of understanding that created it? Now, if you have your bulletins, if you're not here in church today, I did email our Wednesday night uh, crew the, uh, the the bulletins, which is a little bigger list than we have on, on Sundays, just so that many people could get it. And if you are not on that list and you would like to be, please just uh, drop us a note, email, personal message, whatever it is. We'll make sure that we'll put your email in on that. But how can we solve a problem with the same level of understanding that created it? Most times we got ourselves into a mess. It's because we got into that mess because of the understanding or the wisdom that we walk in now. And if I had increased the ability to, to, um, if I could increase my understanding of this matter, I could probably change the way that I would respond and change the way that I would react. The uh, quote in your bulletin, I think I told you, how many saw I told you there was a story behind that? Nobody. All right. Maybe some people out there on the, <laughs> all right, we've got, got one person there who saw that. There was, um, I was, I usually try and find a, a verse which has a nice, a nice pictorial background in order for the, the a verse that comes out of our, uh, out of our text. But there was absolutely no verses out of our text anywhere that had some nice background on it and it was framed in such a way that we could use it for the bulletin. But as I found one that was just framed differently, 
it had a particular background on it, and whatever app I was using to, to look for these, it found a whole mess of them with that same background, and up came the quote that's in your bulletin. And so I thought, I like that quote for what we're doing here today. So we went ahead and used the Albert Einstein quote. If you are not uh, able to have a bulletin in front of you, having pulled up the PDF, whatever it might be, he said, and I was just kind of a paraphrase what I said on it, but his quote was, problems cannot be solved at the same level of awareness that created them. We have to increase our awareness. We have to increase our understanding if we're going to solve the problem that was created with the understanding that we had. What I find, though, with most people is that they'll hear this, this quote and will agree with it, and, and especially from a biblical viewpoint. If you look at this from a biblical viewpoint, you can see that most people get into trouble because of their level of understanding, and God had to increase that level of understanding so they could get out of it. But so often we as Christians are doing the very same thing that we could say, well, I'd be wise if we didn't do that. Now, Super Church has been going over some teen characteristics from the John Maxwell book. And there's a story in the Bible that I had on my list, as I said, for the prophet. And in this particular story, we cover about three of those words that you've already looked at. So I know you have more words that are coming, and we're not going to get into those. But we're going to take a look at these. Uh, these particular ones. In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, Now Jeho- Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. Remember his father and mother Ahab and Jezebel? They were extremely evil. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Now remember, there was war made against Baal by the prophets. And many of the Baal prophets were killed. But he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now, the mission here of this is to subdue the rebellion of Moab that had occurred during the previous king's reign. Moab rebelled. They used to pay tribute to Omri. They then paid it over to his son Ahab. But as the kingdom got weaker, they decided that they didn't have to, and Jehoram was viewed as a weaker king, so they decided to rebel. He is said to be evil, but not as evil as his father. There are degrees of evil as God looks at things. There are some he considers to be extremely evil, some that he considers to be somewhat evil, mostly evil. Whatever levels he's got, we don't know. I don't know, but he's got different levels. Because right here he said, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam. And those were the golden calves and the false worship that was going on. Verse 4, Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. And it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. Then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By way of the wilderness of Edom. So there is no particularly good reason for going out and doing this, except that they were not getting paid the money that Moab used to pay them. They're not, they haven't lost any land. They haven't, uh, they're not under threat in any way. But he just wants to make sure that they keep that money. And as far as 
Jehoshaphat is concerned, I don't see anywhere that Moab is mentioned as paying him any of the money. But he decides to go up anyway. And he says the same thing to him as he said to his father. I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. He didn't learn his lesson before with Ahab. You would think that he would have, almost losing his life, he would have He would have done that. We covered that story not too long ago. But they said, which way shall we go? They asked each other these things. They're going to go after this battle, but they're asking each other, which, which way you think we ought to go? What do you think we ought to do? And so they decided on the way of Edom. There's two ways they could get to where they want to go. One is to go across the River Jordan, and the other one is to go down south around Edom. It's a longer way. It takes a longer journey. Maybe they figured they could pick up some troops down in Edom, and then they would have more numbers, whatever it might be. But they decided to go the longer way instead of the shorter way across the across the river. There are probably other other uh, things that come into play that complicate going across the river there, and they just didn't want to begin to do that. So they picked a way that was low on resources, and they didn't plan to overcome the problems that they had along the way. They just asked each other, which way you want to go? Well, let's go this way. And so they head on out that way, not necessarily realizing that we may not have enough water for the trip and they ran out of water and that became a problem. But they did not collaborate with God. However, they did blame Him for it. Now, people do the same thing today. They'll pray for a sports team they think should win. They'll have reasons for it. They have people today, some people are playing for the Super Bowl for one team to win. Other people are playing for another team to lose. Whatever it might be. I like somebody on this team. They don't like somebody. But most times the people come up with this particular thing. They are not considering the heart of God in the matter. All they are doing is considering what they determine to be good. Well, this person is evil. He should lose. Therefore, the whole team has to lose. This person is good. Therefore, the whole team is good. And this team should thereby win. And so they put it on God that God needs to go through and do this. He needs to make sure that this team wins, this team loses. This is the perpetual evil team. This is the perpetual good team, whatever it might be. And uh, and we think that our heart is God's heart. We pray for a person's life to improve when their life isn't right. We pray for a change in a direction in a country when the people's heart are not in tune with God. I assume that what I want, what I feel... What I think is right and that it lines up with God. Why? Because I'm saved. <laughs> it's that, that simple. I'm saved. I'm a believer. Therefore, because I'm saved and I'm a believer, what I want is what God wants. We're lined up. And that's not necessarily the case. So they determined that they're going to go by way of the wilderness of Edom. I don't know if they did or not. They may have determined that because we want to go this way or because we made this decision to go this particular way. That this is where God wants us to go. This is God's behind it. So verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. Even here it says it's a roundabout route. And there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now Edom was under their control as well. They hadn't rebelled just yet. And they probably figure as they're going through there, they can pick up some people. It was a, a nice, safe place to, to go through. But they did not take care of the problems that would be along the way. They didn't even think about them. Or if they did, they didn't try and uh, take care of the, 
that along the way. So now they face a problem where they run out of water that demands a spiritual solution. So now they're going to find out what God has to say. You see, it seems a lot of times that we run into problems as long as I can try and figure it out on my own, I try and do that. I don't bother consulting God. I don't try and bother God with the whole thing. If uh, if God has something to say, He'll just you know flag me down and and take care of it that way. Verse eleven. But Jehoshaphat said, "Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him?" I wonder if he realizes how much he is saying exactly the same thing as he said in the stories before. Mm-hmm. We can certainly see it because we can read them. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Now notice the king of Edom is with them. He had not been with them on the original uh, aspects of, of things, but he is certainly here now. What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now they're determined that because bad things happen that God is against them. Just because bad things happen in your life does not mean that God is against you. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, by whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you, but now bring me a musician. Now, we read this verse when we were going through the prophets before, talking about how the musicians are, are tied in. But God had regard only for Jehoshaphat, not for the descendant of Ahab. Even though he said he is evil, but not as evil. God still didn't regard that presence. So you could be evil, but not as evil as someone else, and God may still not regard your presence. But Jehoshaphat, he did. Even though Jehoshaphat keeps doing stupid stuff and putting himself in bad situations, God still has regard for him. So Jehoshaphat says, before we can blame God, let's ask him for his input. So Elisha is consulted. We've got to get God in here on the, on the project. We've got to get him to, to see what's, what's going on. And so this is, um, this is one of the things that the, the uh, children had been learning over in the children's church was collaboration. That was one of the the words that they had. And I pulled out some definitions for some of these. To collaborate is to work one with another. To work one with another. To work together on a thing. That's what we do. If we're going to collaborate with God, then we're going to work together on a thing. A lot of times people just want to let God do it. Well, I'm just going to do nothing. I'm going to let God do it. No, don't do that. You need to collaborate with God. God's going to say, do this or don't do that or stay out of this or get into this, whatever it might be. There's a collaboration that is there and we need to work together. We need to cooperate. With the word here for cooperate, that's going to be our next word we're going to look at. And that is to work or act together or jointly for a common purpose or benefit. To work or act together for a common purpose or benefit. We cooperate. It also uh, put this in the definition, to work or act with another or another person's willingly and agreeably. If I'm not willingly and agreeably working, I'm not cooperating. And we need to learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit tells us some things, when the Holy Spirit leads us in particular ways, then we need to cooperate with Him and do so in a willing and agreeable way. I'm going to give you this definition too, adaptable, because that's our third word. Adaptable, the able to adjust oneself readily to different conditions. 
So those uh, may not be the definitions that you all had in children's church. Those are ones that just came out of dictionary, out of the dictionary for me here. But let's go on and look at verse 15. Now, collaboration is a way to solve problems, but we have to think about this. Who am I collaborating with? Sometimes people collaborate with unsaved people. Sometimes they collaborate with saved people who are not seeking after God. That's not going to help you out either. We have to make sure that when we collaborate, we collaborate with God, that God is on our side, that He's the one we're working with. He may speak through some of your friends, some of your friends that seek after God. Certainly we can listen to, to that. Verse 15, Then it happened when the musicians played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. Now that's the instructions. But he gave him a little bit more here on this. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. Now usually when you have water come into a place where there is no water, it's going to get there by, by rain. Some kind of a storm is going to come up. But he's saying no storm, there's going to be no wind, there's going to be no rain, but these uh, these ditches that you're going to dig are going to be filled with water. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. So he's telling them, we're going to take care of the problem here of no water because they're all going to die if they don't get some water. They're, they're on the, the brink of having some real trouble because there's no water. We're not just talking about, boy, I'm really thirsty. You know, you came out, maybe you're out decide doing some things for a few hours. Boy, I'm really thirsty. No, we are looking to where dehydration is kicking in. These folks are in big trouble. Their animals are in trouble. If their animals are in trouble, they're not going to have the food. We're looking at this whole thing can be wiped out if we don't get some water. So it's a big problem. But he says, and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now, here's the expectation. Basically, you have one job. Dig ditches. That's it. We don't explain a whole lot. We do say there's going to be no wind and no rain, but the water will come. If the water comes, then the water is going to fill these ditches up. And deliverance is spoken of, but it's not told how the deliverance would come. But as we'll see later on in the story, it's tied in with these ditches. Now, if you were told this, and you were told, go and dig ditches. Max, how many ditches are you going to dig? If your dad came down and says, Max, I have a job for you, I want you to dig some ditches. And you had to go outside in the yard and dig some ditches. How many ditches are you going to dig? Two. You're good. Two. All right. Max is going to dig two. Mia, how many ditches are you going to dig? Two. You're going to dig two? Let's see. How many ditches are you going to dig? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Oh, all right. Now, do keep in mind when you're thinking about how many ditches you're going to go out there and dig, if the prophet of God were to come here and tell you this, understand they are already thirsty. They have already been without water for a long period of time. And now you have to go out and dig ditches. Digging ditches in a dry area makes you even more thirsty. So now you started the task thirsty and you have to dig ditches, which if you dug ditches, you know it's no easy task. You have to go out there and dig some ditches and you're not told how many ditches to dig. But apparently, if you dig more ditches, you'll get more deliverance. 
You need to get out there and to dig some dig some ditches. But not a whole lot of explanation is given because this is typical of, pro- of prophetic utterances. We tell you exactly what to do. I don't give you all the details to help you figure out how diligent you ought to be or how obedient you ought to be or how urgent this is. All I do is I say, dig ditches. Well, all right, we'll get to that tomorrow because I'm really tired right now. Uh Uh-uh. If they got to it tomorrow, it'd be too late. They need to get out there and dig some ditches. So they got one job. That's all they gave them to do. Dig some ditches. Not much of an explanation. We're just told how the water is not going to come. We are not told how it is going to come. Now, I put this in your outline for you. You can fill this in if you want. The size of the miracle is not based on their obedience. This is something that we have been used to. The size of the miracle is based on our obedience. Once people started to obey, the miracle began. How many times have we seen that? When we looked back in the prophets, we looked at Jehoshaphat. and We saw that once they began to do what they determined they should do, hearing the prophet, and the prophet didn't tell them what to do, but they said, how can we act in faith? And so they said, we'll put the praisers in front of the army. That's how we'll act in faith. That's how we'll show that we believe this. And that's when Jehoshaphat came out with, believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. That, that very famous phrase, because this is probably something that God had revealed to him. So they go out there and they dig the ditches. But the size of the miracle is not based on their obedience, but on their operation. It's based on what they did, not that they did it. They did it, but just because they did it, if they went out and dug one ditch, that probably is not going to give them enough water for what they need. But they dug ditches. And apparently there was no exhortation that they did not dig enough ditches. So they must have done a pretty good job of doing what was needed to do. But he gives them some instruction as to what to do. Now, there's a prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 19. When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it, take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege for the tree of the field is man's food. These exhortations were given probably more for them going into the promised land and God doesn't want them to cut down all the fruit trees, all the trees that they're going to, that are going to feed them. He says, don't bother cutting those ones down. It may not have been a blanket uh, instruction of what to do all over. It may not have been that this is what you have to do no matter what because the prophet seems to instruct them to go out there and to cut down the trees. So either he instructs them to cut down the trees or he's just predicting that they're going to do it. One or the other. I've heard both explanations. I think he's more giving them instructions. I don't think it sounds more like a prediction or else there would have been some caution there. The um, Now right now the valley is dry and God is calling for them to act in a way that will have benefit when the conditions change in the future. So we already know. I'll tell you the end of part of the story here. Water is going to come and going to flood this this valley area. And it's going to fill up the ditches. And when it comes and it fills up the ditches, the ditches will be full of water and they will have water to drink. And they can go over there and they can get drinks and they can get their animals something to drink. One thing that you, you will not see, they don't have to go around denying that the valley is dry. They don't have to go around saying, well, this valley is filled with water. They don't have to even do that. All they had to do was dig ditches. Didn't matter what they, 
uh, what their confession was. Didn't matter. They called for rain, not called for rain. None of that matters. I just needed to collaborate and cooperate with God. They needed to do what God said. God said dig ditches. They needed to cooperate with that. They needed to collaborate with God and find out, God, we've got a spiritual problem here. And so God helped them out. He told them some things to do. Now, God is calling this dry valley full of water, is what he's doing right now. God is calling this dry valley. Right now it's dry. He is calling this dry valley full of water. And we're going to see that God is, he says, I am delivering the Moabites to you. So I put this question, I think it's in your outline for you. Is God delivering the Moabites to them because of their righteousness? Is God delivering the Moabites to them because of Israel and Judah's righteousness? Is God delivering the Moabites to them because of the evilness of the Moabites? Because of the Moabites' wrongness or evilness? Or is God delivering the Moabites to them because of God's graciousness? So I don't know that I have a definitive answer, but if God is going to do something, it is not always because the people he did it for are righteous. Sometimes it is because the people that it is being done to are evil. You look at the times when Israel had an enemy come against them. They, the northern tribe had Assyria. The southern tribe had Egypt at times. They had uh, Babylon at times. It was not because of the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the Egyptians' rightness that this deliverance, or that uh, that Israel was delivered into their hands. It was because of the evilness of Israel. And that's why they did it. There can be any one of these three reasons going on why God does the things that he does. It can be because of the rightness on one side. It can be because of the wrongness or another. And or it could just be because God is being gracious. I don't always have the answer and I don't always have to figure out the answer. I put this in my notes. It's not in yours. If my goal is to solve a problem and God gives me a solution, what will change if I don't cooperate with him? If God, if I want to solve a problem and God gives me a solution, is anything going to change if I don't cooperate with his solution? I got to make sure that I get in there and I cooperate with it. If God says, do this and you'll change your situation, then I need to get in there and do it. Well, how diligently do I need to be? He won't always tell you that. Here, he said, dig ditches. He didn't say, dig two ditches. He didn't say, dig 25 ditches. He didn't say, dig 100 ditches. He didn't tell them any number. He said, go out there and dig ditches. And so they had to go out and figure out how many ditches should we dig. We're already thirsty. Now we're going to be even thirstier. And here's the real fun thing. They're already thirsty. They got thirstier digging the ditches and the water doesn't come until the morning. Now you might be thinking, well, that's kind of mean of God to do so. Why did God do that to them? Why didn't God help them out right away? Well, they're in this predicament because of their own stupidity. <laughs> they're not some, Jehoshaphat shouldn't be there. God says, I wouldn't have any regard for what's going on here, except that you're here. So I'm, I take from that that God would prefer that him not be there. But he is. And so God is sending some deliverance to him. But Jehoshaphat does not get the message. He almost got killed the last time he he uh, carried on like this. Verse 20. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and land was filled with water. Suddenly. Suddenly things can change. And when a sudden change happens, we have to be able to adapt. Now I've done research in the past on what this phenomena is. This is a specific phenomena that happens in this particular area. That there will be uh, a deluge of rain out in some of the mountain areas 
and it will take a couple of days for that water to trickle on down the mountain and to work its own way down into this valley. When it gets into this valley, it just comes as a rushing massive water that comes through. So it's not unknown that this thing has happened before. It's not a, a miracle that God just brought along with this water. This is something that has happened in the past. Here's the kicker though. The rain had to happen about two days before they were there and had the need. So God had the rain come two days before, before they could even be obedient to what the prophet said. So this is a case where the obedience didn't bring about the miracle, but if they were not obedient to what God said to do, the miracle would have happened and passed them by. That water would have just gone right on by them, and they would have seen the water, but they couldn't have done anything to keep the water. And if they didn't act until the miracle happened and right before them is the move of God, it's now too late. You can't go out there in that rushing water and dig ditches and have it do anything. They had to obey the night before so that all the ditches were there. And when the water came by, that would be there. And suddenly. So what he's saying here is there's no indication that this is going to happen. It's just all of a sudden, wow, here it is. Have you ever been in one of those situations where an end suddenly happened? And suddenly, conditions changed. And we have to adapt when that occurs. Verse 21, And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. These are not qualified soldiers. These are all who can bear arms. They may not be able to bear them well. But they can bear arms. They are not necessarily trained soldiers. They are just people that are going to defend their land. They're going to do some things to help out. Some of them may have been soldiers. Some of them might be what you would call militia. Where they're not trained soldiers, but they know how to handle their firearms. And then there's other people who have not done any of that. They're just there. When we had our own wars here, when we had the Revolutionary War, we had our trained soldiers that were under some of the generals that we had in our country. We also had the militia. And they fought in a little different manner. But they also didn't fight with the same discipline that the trained soldiers, our trained soldiers had. And so there was less success from those. And then you had people who just, the wives who were at home, if they had a gun and the soldiers were coming by, they just pick up a gun, they just start firing to try and defend their, their household against it. So you had three different levels of uh, people that were fighting, this is what you have here. A trained soldier does not panic the way that a militia would or someone who's not trained at all. So if they see a situation, they start to panic or they start to go and they start to do things and they don't respond to commands. If you have a soldier and a, a superior officer says, don't go, don't leave your post. They won't go, they won't leave their post because they've been trained to listen. But you have some militia in there. You have some other people that are out there, not trained, and they see a situation. They determine, I can go and do this. They're just going to go and do it. They're not going to listen to anybody. So this is why the Word of God tells us, anybody they could get, they, they grabbed, and they put them by the border. As long as they could bear arms and older. They were gathered up, and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning. Verse 22, and the sun was shining on the water and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. They probably weren't expecting the water. They may not have seen the rushing water that had come through. 
and had filled up all these ditches. And they said, this is the blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. In this group, you may not have everyone in the group assuming this. Some of them, some probably the soldiers, want to be more cautious. Let's be careful about going down there. This might be a trap. This might be something that uh, doesn't quite be as it appears to be. But you had all these other folks in there who just started making a mad rush. They made the assumption that the kings had turned on each other. And so they all start going. Once a few people start going, more people follow. And then more people. Now you got a stampede. And you can't stop it. And now they're just, they're just going. So this was, this was created. They all think they're going to get something good. But the water that God had in the ditches, the reflection of it, it appeared to be blood. And this is why they thought that. That the, they had all turned on each other. And we've seen enough stories in the Word of God where this has occurred. So they promoted an assumption. The assumption was the kings have turned on each other. Let's go. So they came for the purpose of fighting a battle. They made an assumption that the kings have turned on each other. And so they adapted to the new situation. That, ad- that adaptation was not a good one. They adapted to a new situation, but the new situation was an assumption, and it was also false. And so though they adapted, it was not a good adaptation. Just because I adapt does not mean I followed God, or that I did what was right. We have to sometimes adapt to what's going on, but it does not mean that I followed God, or that I did what God said to do. Verse 24. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites. So they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and they cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Ker-Hareseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. So they hadn't quite gotten to that one yet, but they had people that surrounded. They began to do the attack, but they were following what seems to be instructions from Elisha the prophet. Verse 26, And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom. But they could not. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. So, when he saw that he was not winning, he also adapted. He made an adaptation. He first thought, I'm going to try and break through and at least get myself saved. But that wasn't a, that he wasn't able to do that. And so he came back into the city. And so then he took his son and he sacrificed him on the wall. Now he does this on the wall so that everybody sees it. And apparently he's, he's um, trying to communicate a message. And they took the message. And they saw that they weren't expecting the king to come up on the wall and to sacrifice his son. And that kind of threw them, grossed them out, you might say, or whatever it might be. It's the situation here took an unexpected turn. And so then Israel adapted as well. And Israel adapted and said, Oh, oh, that's awful. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's, I can't believe he just did that. Let's all go home. So they they adapted by not doing what God said to do 
and going home. God didn't say, do these things until you see something really grotesque. He said, do this. And they stopped doing it. They adapted. But again, it was not a good adaptation. When we adapt, there are parameters we need to stay within and the enemy wants us to exceed. Whenever you adapt, God is not against adaptation, but he is against us adapting outside of the parameters that he set up. So, I'm going to give you everybody hits here, everyone who's listening, you got a homework assignment. This is what I want you to try and find do. I want you to try and find two people in the Word of God. One person who adapted to what God said and stayed within the parameters of what they were supposed to do. And I want you to find another person who adapted to what God said and operated outside of the parameters. Now, it's not like there's only one on each of these. There's a bunch of them. And you should be able to go out and and find that. I'll give you an example. One would be Abraham. When Abraham came to the land that God promised him, the promised land, he came there and he found that there was a famine in the land. And so he adapted. You remember that? And he went down to Egypt. That's outside the parameters. He wasn't supposed to go down to Egypt. God said, go in the land and dwell there. Well, he went down the land and found famine and left. He made an adaptation to the word of God, but he didn't stay within the parameters of what God said to do. So I want you to find one person and you can put it in the comments there on Facebook or message it to me, however you want to do it. Find one person who adapted, but stayed within what they could do, what God said you could do and other people who adapted, who went outside. And so um, just write that down. Let your brain start working on that later on but right now let's finish this this off i put this question for you how adaptable are you and what's the difference between adapting and compromising your faith see sometimes people adapt to their situation and all they've done was compromise their faith i didn't really adapt i compromised The word of God told me to do this. Now right here, these people, they compromised. They adapted, but they compromised. God said, this is what I want you to do. He's inside some of the cities. He said every city. He said, I want you to do this to every city. I want you to do this to every field. I want you to do this to every tree. Go out there and do these things. And they stopped when this happened. They were doing it up until then, but then they stopped. Now notice this, that even though Judah is in a place they should not be, they shouldn't be here, God still helped them. Simple obedience did not bring about a great victory. But diligent obedience did. Now God's going to speak to your spirit. He's going to give you some things to do. When he does, do you see the excuses of why you cannot? Do you see the excuses of why water is not going to fill up your empty ditches? Do you see? Why should I keep digging these ditches? I'm thirsty. I'm tired. I've dug some ditches. Why do I got to keep on digging ditches? Why do I got to keep pressing on? We find all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't do it. Sometimes we think, well, I obeyed. But you see, in this situation, simple obedience is not enough. You are going to be found in some situations where simple obedience is not enough. You need to have diligent obedience. I need to do what God said with everything that is in me. And as you are on your way to that, 
The enemy is going to try and throw you adaptive situations. Well, see, this is coming up. You didn't know this was coming. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to adapt? You're believing God for something in your body. And all of a sudden, a new pain came up. Or a new situation. Or a new symptom. How are you going to adapt? Oh, I guess I need to do this instead. I guess that wasn't working. We adapt. We change. But am I staying within the parameters of faith? Am I still in the area of faith? Pretty sure I put this in the outline here for you. When we allow the views of Satan's kingdom into our minds and beliefs, we taint how we hear what God would say to us. Two things here. We taint how we hear what God would say to us. I've got another part on this first, this part too, but if I allow what Satan, Satan, Satan's views of what's going on in my world, of Satan's views of his word, of God's word, of Satan's views of people in my life. If I allow Satan's views to come in, the word of God calls it leaven. If you allow a little bit of that leaven in, it will change how we hear what God would say to us. Because if I have accepted that something that is in the world is truth, then when God speaks his truth, I reject it. We've talked about that before. The different kinds of of truth that would come up. So, when we allow the views of Satan's kingdom into our minds and beliefs, we taint how we hear what God would say to us and how far you go with it. You're going to taint that. I think it's a, for me, it's, it's really easy to see who is of which view. You can be of God's view. You can be of Satan's view. It's real easy. Anyone who has been under a satanic view and the stronger the satanic delusion, the more you'll see this. They force you to believe and to confess and to say what they see. Think of it this way. If you go back to the evil regimes of the Nazis, the evil regimes that were in China, the evil regimes that were in the Soviet Union, even Italy had its evil regimes that were kicked out in one of the world wars. When you looked at these and what they would go on, what would happen when people vocalized opposition? You were either killed, taken to a camp, a re-education camp, so that you would think differently. You were not allowed to think differently than what they said. The more that attitude is present, the more they have succumbed to the evil that is in this world. Because God does not do that with people. He presents his truth. If you choose to believe it, great. If not, he's moving on to somebody else. When Jesus came in and taught and if they refused to hear, what did Jesus do? Let's go on. We got it going over here. When Paul went into a place and they refused to hear, what did Paul do? He didn't go over and try and make laws. Y'all need to, to uh, listen to this. He didn't do it. It is so easy to tell what King, Satan's kingdom is and who's behind it. Because you will force people to think, to speak, and to act like you. Satan's kingdom is all, we mentioned this to you before, just remind you. Satan's kingdom is all about sameness. He wants everybody to be the same. And if you look at these regimes where that was, everyone thought the same. Everyone did the same. 
Everybody was the same. But God is about diversity. He has given to each one differently. Differing gifts. Different, different things. Different operations. Because God is into variety. He's into a body. He wants hands. He wants feet. He wants eyes. He wants ears. He wants nose. He wants mouth. He wants all the different parts going on. The enemy doesn't want that. The enemy knows that the power in the body is in the diversity. We've got to get rid of that. Don't let them do it. It's, for me, it's a piece of cake. I can tell just from listening to a person talk, not that they are of Satan's kingdom, but that's the one they're listening to. Now, you keep listening to that, you're going to keep getting pulled over more and more and more. And it's going to change you. If people don't want to agree with me on, on a thing, that's fine. I just go on to somebody else. I don't, it don't matter to me. I don't have to persuade you. I've told you over and over again, the role of a pastor is to present the truth, not to convince you of it. I do not have to convince you of it. Boy, was I ever freeing when I learned that. I do not have to convince people of the truth. I just have to present it. And sometimes people will come up and they try and argue the truth. Argue all you want. I'm not going to argue with you. I don't need to. Because I don't need to convince you. I need to present it to you. And I'm just so much more relaxed with that. It just helps me out a great deal. Because that's the, that's the way that God does things. Now, I am not prepared to tell you why I got into this question. And it's not because you are peons and you can't understand it. It's, it's not that at all. I don't want to convey that to you. I, I got into this asking a question and I have not taken this truth and wrapped my head around it completely. And if I don't have it completely wrapped around, I cannot communicate it to you. I know that. So I'm not even going to try. But along the way of me asking this particular question, one of the ways I was helped to understand it, and I, I still don't understand it fully. I have a lot of work yet to probably do, or maybe it just comes all at once and God just opens my eyes. Oh, now I see it. Because somebody had asked the question some time ago, and I've been pondering it, and this is, this is some of the truth that came to me. But here's what I put in your, your outline. I haven't forgotten the other thing that I said either. But can God speak to a situation though what he says has no impact on the end results? Would God speak to a situation even though he knows that what he is saying will have absolutely no impact on the end results? Would God bother to speak to it? Now again, this is just stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm piecing together what we're going to um, down the road, maybe we'll get into it. I don't know. But here's some applications where you could put this. Then maybe this will, will help some of you out. But how many have ever been in need of a job? And you're you're seeking after a job? And how many people, you know, we've gone on interviews. How many people have needed a job, only went on one interview ever, got the job, and then when you need another job, one interview, and that was it? Anybody do that? Okay, does it happen that way all the time? But it has. I've had it happen a couple of times where I went to one job interview and, and then that was it. But there's a lot of times where you're going for more and you go after the more. Along the lines, while you are, are going on these job interviews, and, and uh, I think of it this way. I know we don't have a whole lot of folks here and you can't really raise your hand on the Facebook. But how many have ever had multiple interviews for multiple jobs before they settled on one. 
along the, along the process of that, did God speak to you about each of those jobs? In fact, I put it, don't raise your hand on this one. But did, did you feel that God could be in any one of those jobs that you did not take or they did not offer you a job? Now, again, this is, this is not where I was going with this truth. This is just something that God spoke to me to help me understand it. And I'm still not there where I understand it. Now, if he did speak to you, wouldn't we think that we missed him somewhere? If he spoke to us and I didn't get the job? If God spoke to you about the job and I didn't get it, wouldn't you think that you missed it somewhere? Maybe maybe he lost faith in us? Purpose? Maybe that was lost? So this is where I went with this. Maybe you can see this. If you are are looking for a job, and there is a job out there that God knows is going to fit the bill, but that job is not ready yet. And along the, along the line, maybe you're looking for a job for a month, maybe you're looking for a job for two months, maybe it's longer. Whatever process of time that it is, you're going out there looking for a job. If God just came to you and said, the job I have for you, Vanessa, it's going to be three months on down, just, just chill. How many of you feel good about just chilling for three months, waiting for that job to come out. Max is ready for that. He is ready for waiting. <laughs> you see, a lot of times we're not built to handle that. I feel like I have to get out there and do something. And along the way, if I'm going out there and doing something and I don't hear anything from God, now I'm thinking God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. Did I mess something up? Did I do something? And so... God can very well speak to you about a job that he knows you're not going to get for the very purpose of keeping your purpose and faith alive, thereby giving it purpose just in that. Does that make sense to you? Now, that's not where I'm going with that, and I have to go someplace completely different, and I, I still have to meditate on it. I'm not anywhere near ready. I'm just kind of wading out on the, on the beach on this one. But we'll eventually get there for it. But um, I saw that and I, I thought it would help you to understand this. God can speak to a situation, though what he says has absolutely no impact on the end results. Don't think you missed it. If God showed you a job and he said, yeah, that could work for you, this, that, and the other thing, and you didn't get it, it doesn't mean that you missed God. It just means his, his sight is on something else. But you see, for my faith to be alive... My faith has to be set on something. I gotta be looking at something. If I'm looking at absolutely nothing, that's difficult. And for some people, they can do it. You have the Elijahs and the Moseses out there who could look at nothing on the horizon and still be in faith. But most of us need to see something on the horizon. Someplace that we can go. And I made another note on that, but that's not something I'm ready to get into. So let's go back to this. How adaptable are you and what's the difference between adapting and compromising your faith? If God speaks to you about your situation, if God speaks to you, say in this particular thing, do not go and fight with the king of Moab. And you go and you fight with the king of Moab. You are in the wrong. If you go with him, well, I'm not going to go fight with him. I'm just going to go with Ahab and we're just going to go down there and see what, what happens and what goes on. If you do that and then get stuck in a situation where all of a sudden now I've got to fight. 
I'm in that situation because I compromised, I adapted, and I put myself in a bad spot. Don't be doing it. You've got to learn how to listen to God and let God develop you along the way. I have got to collaborate with my father. I've got to know what he is saying to do. When he collaborates with me, I've got to cooperate with what he says and not be an argument, argumentative. I've got to cooperate with it. I've got to listen. I've got to be willing. Part of the definition of cooperating is being willing. I've got to be willing to work with what he says to do. And God will speak things to you that you have no understanding of. And you need to obey. Right in here. Why are we digging ditches? If it's not going to rain, what good are the ditches? And I can begin to reason it out. He's not asking me to reason it out. He's saying, here's what I'm telling you to do. We have collaborated on this project. I have given you something. Now cooperate with it. And cooperate means to do what he said to do in a, with, a, with a willing attitude. And then we get to adapt, adaptation. And understand this. Holding fast to faith is hard because the enemy is always trying to get you to adapt. He's trying to get you to see, you didn't know this was coming. Now, what are you going to do? And he's going to try and get you to adapt. He's going to try and get you to change. He's going to try and get you to move off of what God said to do. Because as you go over this homework and you go through the Word of God and you find people who adapted, you will find more people who adapted wrongly than adapted correctly. It is far easier to adapt and go in a wrong direction than it is to adapt and go in the right one and stay within the right parameters. You can do it, and people have done it. And it's a worthwhile study just to see how you can adapt to what's coming up. Because the enemy is always throwing things at you. He's always trying to make things change. But you don't have to adapt incorrectly or wrongly. Stay with what God said. Well, God, I didn't know that this was happening. You probably did. I didn't know it was happening. Are we okay if I step out and do it this way? See, Abraham should have come on down and said, hey, is it okay if I go down to Egypt for a little while? And God would have said, no. <laughs> and then he was said, all right, well, now we know if I were going to adapt there, I, get, I step outside of the realm of what God wants me to do. And he would have understood it. The difference between adaptation, staying in faith and not, is making sure that you keep collaborating with God on the subject. Well, God, I feel like I ought to be doing this. I feel like I ought to be going in this direction. And then God can speak to your spirit. No, don't do it. No, don't, don't go that direction. Stay over here. Jehoshaphat adopted when he got the word of God from Micaiah. But he adapted in a way that wasn't within the, the parameters of faith. And God still preserved his life. I can still make mistakes and God will still help me out. Abraham, we, we told you his mistake. God still helped him out and still brought him back to the promised land and still did everything that he promised him to do. Just because I have adopted in the past and I did wrong and I messed up and I went in the wrong direction does not mean that God is done with you. It just means we made a, we got a little setback here. Now, let's pick it back up. Abraham, let's get you back into the promised land. This is where you're supposed to be. And now God can start speaking to him again. When he was over there in Egypt, God didn't speak to him. When he came back into the promised land, 
and he got obedient to do the things that God said to do, now God is speaking to him again. It's not that God is, is mad with him. It's just that you didn't do what I did, told you to do the first time. Do what I said to do the first time, and then we can go and give you some other instructions and some other things to do. So, understand, recognize the, Satan's kingdom. Understand, Satan's kingdom is trying to force people to do the same thing all the way around. Everybody's got to look at homosexuality the same way. Everybody's got to look at the bathroom situation the same way. If you don't look at it this way, then you need to, you need to be removed. You need to be re-educated. That is wrong. That is not right. We've said it to you way back when they were doing the vegetarian thing. Vegetarians always want to make meat eaters stop eating meat. Meat eaters could care less whether vegetarians eat meat or not. Because I'm still eating meat. I mean, you look at it, you find a meat eater out there who cares if you're a vegetarian. Oh, you're a vegetarian? Hey, go ahead. <laughs> More meat for me. <laughs> They're okay. They don't try and convince you. They don't try and persuade you. That's why I think vegetarianism is of the devil. <laughs> Absolutely. It is of the devil. Has every indication. <laughs> no, if you do, do it, see, you can do a good thing. People who want to be vegetarians, they have a, a maybe a good reason for it. Maybe it's helped them. Maybe it's done some things. But you see, when you get into the mentality that now I must convert everybody and make everybody this way, now you got to be a problem. There's a problem. You see, I love you all know I love running. I don't go around trying to make runners out of everybody. If you want to run, I'll tell you, give you some uh, help, advise you. Help you get some shoes, all that sort of stuff. If you don't want to run, that's fine. <laughs> I don't try and make you run. I'm okay with it. But you see, the Satan's kingdom is not okay with people doing their own thing. He never is. He's not okay with you having your own viewpoints. He wants everybody to be the same. Everybody to go about it the same way. That's one of the things I loved about that movie that came out years ago, Dead Poet Society. If anybody hasn't seen that, it's a great teacher's movie. But in it, you saw that in the school, there was great pressure for everyone to be the same. And one teacher decided to stand up and says, no, you're not all the same. You're all individuals and you need to be individuals. And you need to think yourself. And the entire school came against him and chased him out. This is what you'll see in this, this day as well. The people who want people to be individuals, to be able to speak their own mind, and do their own thing, and just and be be fine that way, or, or one way. But the the enemy's kingdom, no, we're going to put pressure on you to go in the way of sin, and you all need to go that way. If you want another another biblical example, just think back to the fiery furnace. Everyone will worship this way. If you don't, you die. That's Satan's kingdom. Whenever there is pressure for everyone to think the same, do the same, be the same, that is a telltale sign of whose it is. And we're seeing a whole lot of it going on right now. I know who's, where it comes from. I know exactly where it comes from. I've seen it in the Word. I've seen it in the Old Testament. I've seen it in the New Testament. I've seen it through history. It doesn't change its stripes. It's still the same thing. But I know my God and I know His kingdom. I don't get nervous. I don't get scared. I'm going to keep on doing the things that God says to do. I'm going to keep on believing the things that God says to believe. 
I may adapt to things that are going around, but I'm going to adapt within my parameters of what I'm allowed to do. And when God says, don't get out of it here, don't be looking at these things this way. Yes, sir, I will not. <laughs> I stay inside that. I can adapt, but I don't have to compromise my faith. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you have ways for us to be set free, ways for us to be delivered, ways for the miracles to come and for us to be able to catch hold of them. And we do not comprehend all that you are about to do. I don't have to comprehend everything that you will do to bring your word about. All I need to do is know when you have spoken your word, whether it be through a prophet, whether it be through a teacher, a pastor, an evangelist, an apostle, whoever it might be that you have spoken truth through, the world will try and get us to change our belief on what you have said. There will be a lot much pressure that will come against those who decide to stand with the things of God and to go in the direction that God has said. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. For you are here for us to collaborate with. You are here for us to cooperate with. And you are even here to help us to adapt to whatever changes the devil throws our way. But you'll help us to adapt staying within the realm of faith and not venturing out. His purpose is to throw things at us so that we would change. But I thank you that we don't have to. I do not have to leave your word. No matter who pressures me to say you need to stop believing that, that's old thinking. We believe in the modern gospel. Father, I will stand believing your gospel and your way and follow after your Holy Spirit. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. So good to have you out. Those who were able to make it out here. For those folks who tuned, who tuned in on uh, Facebook, so glad you were able to join us and that we were able to get that out there for you. Thanks for everyone who came out to make this broadcast for everyone staying at home possible. We really appreciate all, all that. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, remember the rescheduled events where our covered dish, which was supposed to be for today, is two weeks from now. Communion will be next week. We'll have it go that way. Have a great rest of your day.